Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 15 of Travel Talks, where this week I'm delighted to say that I'm joined by Fergal O'Keefe, who is the host of Ireland's number one travel podcast, Travel Tales. Fergal has loved travel all of his life, and in this episode, he tells us stories about listening to his dad talk about his time in the Royal Merchant Navy traveling around the world, the lessons we can all learn in trusting people and how best to get a feel for the country. He talks about his love for hiking, why walking is so special to him, and tells us stories from his time walking the Annapurna Circuit in Nepal. I couldn't be happy with this episode, and it really is full of wanderlust and adventure, which should get us all dreaming about traveling again in the near future. So you go over the mountains and these little windy roads and you can see the coast all along. And there's a town called Agius Nicholas, which is for me the perfect, the ideal place. And then the one that really stands out of all the walking that I've ever done was in Nepal. We did mm. the Annapurna circuit, mm. which is a 20 day walk around the Annapurna mountain range. Wow. Kind mm. of went right up to my face. He's going, go on, hit me. And I was looking at him <laughs> going, what? <laughs> Our family got kicked out of the restaurant. <laughs> and he drove us to his house and he actually, so he lived in this amazing house going down to the sea with fresh fruit, you know, there was like eating the fruit off the trees and coconuts. And uh, he actually lived next door to Marilyn Brando's old house. Oh, amazing. amazing house. Fergal O'Keefe, thank you so much for joining me on Travel Talks. It's a pleasure to have you on the podcast. How are you doing? I'm very good. Thanks for having me. So I wanted to talk to you firstly about your podcast, because it's the reason, of course, that we've uh, connected and yeah. a reason that you love travel just as much as I do. So Travel Tales with Fergal, it's been a massive success out of the blocks because you've reached number one in the places and travel podcast charts in Ireland. So firstly, congratulations. And secondly, what's it feel like to top the charts? It's really good. Yeah, I have to to say I love it. I mean, I now feel a bit like, um, you know, Taylor Swift or someone yeah. where the only problem is that when each episode comes out, now I, I want the next episode to be number one as well mm. so that um, the guest gets the glory because I kind of think it's their glory if, if I get number one. So it's made me all competitive now looking at charts. <laughs> but yeah, no, it is great, I have to say. And the other thing that I, I've discovered is, you know, when you hear bands saying that when they record a song they just want people to hear it and I always thought no it's about money but Mm. no I I actually totally relate to that now because Mm. when you record when you do a podcast you really do want as many people to hear it Mm. you know much goes into it and so much love goes into it so it means an awful lot to me actually I have to say brilliant and long may it continue so uh, what made you want to start a podcast especially during lockdown like myself yeah do you know what what it was was I was 
you know, we were we were restricted to five kilometer walks um, during the lockdown in March. And I was doing these walks every day down with the river and surrounded by beauty, but listening to podcasts about Trump and about coronavirus. Mm. And then one day I said, gosh, I'm surrounded in such a beautiful place. I went, I wonder if there are travel podcasts. So I just typed in travel and started mm. listening to travel podcasts. And then I sort of went, gosh, I, I think I could do one of these myself because mm. I've, I've had a lifelong love of travel all my life. And I'm one of those people who dreams about travel and I enjoy the thinking about future travel and the actual planning travel. Oh, uh, so yeah. I'm the planner in my family. My wife is delighted with that because I actually love that. I love the planning and then I've got this, I don't know if you're like this, I don't know if I'm the only person like this, but I've kind of now got this weird thing going where when I'm on my holiday, it's nearly like I'm living through my planning. And yeah. when things live up to, particularly, you know, say when we go on a really intricate holiday, like a, like a walk. So each day I'm like, yeah, we did that. And I'm kind of banking the memories. And then afterwards, I can think back on the travel. So it's the yeah. planning, the actual travel, and then thinking back on the travel. So I've always loved it all my life, I have to say. Oh, brilliant. And that really comes across in the podcast. Um, so you've been told some incredible stories so far on your podcast, but is there one that sticks out as your favourite? Um, gosh, there are so many. I mean, the, my last one um, last week, which was the final episode of season one, um, you know, there was some lovely ones there. But the question that I ask on every podcast the only question that is the same one is is at the end is tell me your happy place mm. and I get some amazing answers for that that's the only one where people always seem to pause and really have a think mm. and um, the one last week Richard was talking about Burning Man and he went into detail about it and it just sounded amazing I would really love to go there I've heard other people talk about it but he really described the whole thing and that really gave me um wanderlust wanting to go there or another guest talked about camping in the Sinai desert back in the eight, early 80s wow. under the stars and again that really you know it, it, their enthusiasm comes true mm. so definitely that last question I've got some amazing answers and then the other thing which is amazing from it is an awful lot of people pick their hometown or mm. somewhere near them or somewhere in Ireland so not only is the podcast given me you know, helped with that dreaming about travel and that scratch that itch to talk about travel. But it's given me appreciation of Ireland. And that's the other thing about mm. travel that mm. I've always found that when I go abroad, it makes me appreciate home as much. All the beautiful things in Ireland, it makes me appreciate them more. So a lot of people actually talked about things close to home. So maybe appreciate Ireland too, if that makes sense. Absolutely. It completely makes sense, especially at the moment where we can't really travel too far. Yeah. It's perhaps opening our eyes up to the beauty that surrounds us locally. So that's a great, great point. And obviously we all have massive aspirations of getting huge, huge guests on in the future. It's one of the reasons why we do these podcasts. Is there one guest which tops your bucket list of the all-time amazing guests which you'd love to have on Travel Tales? Well, the first name that popped into my head when you said that would be uh, Michael Palin. I would love to get him. Mm. He would have been a big influence um, of me when I was growing up, uh, you know, like all his different trips. And what I actually doing this podcast when I'm interviewing other people, like I, I interviewed Holly Rubinstein in the UK for her, which is a great podcast. And she interviewed Michael Palin. And I was when I was talking to her, I was saying that actually 
I remember going through South America and it was halfway through the trip in South America. I spent a couple of months there that mm. I realized even, I didn't know I was doing this, but I essentially was following his trip oh, through wow. South America. It was only I was on Lake Titicaca mm. in, get, on a boat in, in, and um, I realized, gosh, I'm actually following Michael Palin's trip through South America. <laughs> you know, subconsciously it was in my brain. So he definitely would be top of my guests. I think he's amazing. Fantastic. So I want to move on to a question now, which I ask everyone on the podcast, and that is how important is travel to you? Yeah, it is crucial. Like, like I would say that um, I think about it all the time. I've always thought about it all my life. You know, when I was growing up, I used my father, um, you know, when he was young. He worked in the British Merchant Navy and he he was in boats. He went all over the world and he used to tell me, he used to take out this old tin box with old photos and he'd show me these photos of like, like he was the last ship that went out of the Suez Canal before the Suez crisis and the ship behind him was blown up. Wow. And then, you know, there's, he used to have pictures like in Africa with all these little boats that would come out around his ship. And so I grew up with all these stories about travel. So that really gave me, I suppose, the love of it, hearing those and wanting to do it. So it's always been really important to me. And then when I went into college, every summer I would go away for the summer and that sort of solidified it, you know, made me really, you know, really give me the bug of being away for when you really submerge yourself in a place. Yeah. You know, we, we, I went to a few places, like I went to Munich in first year and I went to Wildwood, New Jersey in America in second year and London in third year. Mm. And that really gave me a love of being away for a long period of time and really getting to know local cultures. And particularly in America, what I learned there was like one of the best bits of advice I ever got on any trip was someone before I left said, you know, if America can invite you to their house for a barbecue or they say, do you want to come for drinks? Then they mean it. And you, you mm. take them up on that. Mm. And I did that there and I got some great adventures when I was in America just by going yes and being open yeah. to people. And I've used that all my life throughout my travels, always being open to talking to people and getting recommendations or invites to their houses because they really get to know a country when you get to see inside somebody's house or have a meal with a, with a person in their house. So I've used that all my life. So yeah, very passionate about it and I've always loved it, I have to say. Brilliant. And, that, and that's what led me to do this podcast eventually. Mm -hmm. You know, you know, it was, it was the one silver lining from the lockdown because I'm a publican. I've always worked in tourism. So I've worked at mm. a hotel and a pub and a nightclub and, um, it, you know, didn't have the time. to. to so mm. the one silver lining is now during lockdown with the places closed. It did give me time to actually think more about travel uh, because I couldn't and then do this podcast. Yeah, absolutely. I want to move back there to talk about your dad being part of the British Merchant Navy. Because he must have been describing some far off lands, which at the time must have just blown your mind and made you dream of these distant places. Have you ever visited the places which he spoke about? Um, yeah, well, I've been to Africa. Yeah, I mean, I have to, I have been my honeymoon. We, I went to Tanzania. And um, so, yeah, Africa was a place that I've always, always wanted to go to because of hearing those stories. And um, so I've been to South Africa. And um, absolutely loved it there. Mm. I go back, you know, went to Cape Town and all around Cape Town and the, the wine region around there, C Camps Bay, just amazing. So absolutely loved that. And then the stories that he used to tell me was more sort of, um, 
you know, kind of wild Africa, I suppose. So I got a little bit more of a taste from that when I went to uh, my honeymoon to um, Tanzania. We actually did walked up Kilimanjaro. Wow. So that was an amazing experience to do that. And then also um, went to a little island off of Tanzania called Pemba. And that, you know, stayed in a gorgeous hotel because it was our honeymoon. But mm. also there was the, you know, got to see the villagers there. Really got a lovely feel for it. And then did a couple of safaris as well. So really enjoyed that. And the, the, the safaris I did, I stayed in two hotels and one was camping. And the camping was by a million miles the best because we're just camped on the side of a river. And then at evening when the sun was going down, you'd get the boats coming or not the boats. You'd get um, all the, the, um, the animals would come down to get water down the river. So wow. you could just watch that every sunset. And that was just amazing. So I'd love to go back and get more of that, actually, get, go, get, go more to Africa. But that, I suppose, would, would give me a feel for that. And then I used to hear those stories about Suez Canal. I'd been to Egypt, actually, to Sharm el-Sheikh as well. Mm. But I haven't been to like Cairo or anywhere around there. But Sharm el-Sheikh, I loved it. But it felt a little bit more kind of, um, you know, it's like hotels, compounds. Yeah. You don't yeah. really get a feel. You don't really feel like you're in the Middle East there, mm. I have to say. So I would like to do more of that which is sort of a bit of a tricky one at the moment, but definitely the Middle East, the major one on my list to go to. Sometime in the future, for sure. Yeah. And we spoke before you came on the podcast and you said to me that you learned more traveling than you did actually in college. And I wanted to ask mm. you, what do you think you learned? Gosh, I learned so much. Like when I was in Munich, I remember I worked in, um, well, first the resilience. I remember arriving. I mean, the only times I've been abroad really was uh, one trip to London, two trips to London and one to Paris and school tours. So I'd never really been properly abroad until that summer and arriving into Munich. And I remember getting the, the S-Bahn into the centre of the town and walking out into the main square, the Marienplatz and just on my own and just sort of feeling like I achieved something, getting yeah. the S-Bahn and getting into town on my own and getting back. <laughs> And then I worked, I got a job. I know German, but I managed to like blag my way into BMW. And oh, I was wow. working in the BMW plant, printing the big, um, the bonnets for BMWs, for Tree wow. Series, big, huge machines. And, you know, it was an amazing experience. And, you know, being able to get a job without really much Germany and working in a, in a factory. Mm. And I remember that summer, it was like really hard physical work. And I remember, and monotonous as well. So what it did is it you know taught me about that, but also I remember spending the summer in the factory going, I'm definitely going to study when I, when I go back to college because mm. I don't want to be doing this for the rest of my life. Mm. But it really gave me resilience, you know, and the same in America. You know, I went to America without a job and, you know, got a job in the first more, got two jobs, like within two days. And um, I remember my first job was prepping in a, in a restaurant in Wildwood, New Jersey. And then by the end of the summer, the the head chef got a heart attack and I ended up being like the head prep chef for the restaurant doing their, wow. doing the, the specials every morning in, in the restaurant. And that's what I really learned about America is they're quite amazing that way. They really do. Um, if, if you've got a bit of initiative, you can get on very quickly there. So that, you know, really about resilience, about learning about different people, getting on. Yeah, I, I learned so much, I have to say. And, and, and you know, dealing with people, what's important in life as well. That's the other thing from, from those travels, you know, about, you know, which has made me always taught about that, you know, work 
is work and but you know to get be able to travel and get to know the world and time off yeah that that's so important for a balanced mm. life mm. and you really get that when you're traveling particularly if you go away for longer periods you know um and you you look at other cultures you know say in asia or places like that you know that a balanced life is the healthiest way to live you know yeah. So yeah, learned a lot, I have to say. I couldn't agree more. And you also mentioned that you went traveling for two years. Mm. And I wanted to ask you, first of all, where did you go for such a long period of time? And <laughs> yeah, how old were you? And how much did it cost to fund that kind of trip? Yeah, gosh, the, the you know what? I'd have to get my wife on. I was talking to her about it and she was going, oh, I must get my notes. I should have got notes because Emer my wife, who was my partner at the time, the two of us went and um, she was great because she was like our accountant. So she like had a little diary <laughs> and every day she would write down what we spent on lunch oh, wow. and what we'd spend on activities. And, but like you could do, I don't know about now, but then you could do it for so little. I mean, mm. you know, going through Asia, you your budget could have been something like between 20 and $30 between like together, wow. so $15 each for the day to include mm. accommodation, to include our food. So you really can um, go on those sort of trips when you simplify it. And, and and what I really learned from that and since is, you know, you can, it isn't the fancy den hotel, um, you know, it, it, the accommodation really, it's where you are is the most important thing. Mm. So mm. I've never, you know, I've, I've mixed it up since then since we came back but it always made me realize that it's the places that you were rather than the accommodation that is the most important thing you know so where we went was uh, we started off in south america we spent a few months and we went through peru bolivia chile and it was 1999 and i was 29 then and uh, i'd worked for a few years so i'd saved to go traveling mm. and um both of us went and uh, then we spent the millennium, which was 99 going into 2000. We spent that in the French Polynesia. So we were wow. in Tahiti, Morea, uh, Bora Bora. So we spent like ringing the millennium in 2000, 99, 2000, that New Year's Eve. We were in Morea beside the beautiful island beside Tahiti. And we were the one that you so that was one of the last places in the world to ring in the new year. And wow. it was amazing, I have to say. And then on to New Zealand and then to Australia for a year and then we traveled you know we're sydney and western australian broom so we worked in australia as well mm. while we were there to get some more money and we had a little holiday for two weeks while we we're in australia we went to bali and then back to australia <laughs> more <Great>. traveling <laughs> and then on the way back through asia and then we had loads of, like we were in thailand we were in Laos, we we're in cambodia mm. we were in uh, india we were in nepal so yeah wow. that was a great trip i have to say and this, is, this is almost an impossible question from such a long trip. But is there a highlight that stands out to you? Gosh, there was so much. I mean, you know, I suppose when I look back, you know, and it's kind of surprising was one Bangkok, because when we, we spent six months in Asia and um, Bangkok ended up by accident becoming our base. So mm. we go somewhere and then, like say we go to Laos and then we come back to Bangkok and we go right. to Cambodia or go to India. So Bangkok was our base. Every time we come back, because we were traveling for so long, that nearly felt a bit like home. Mm. So, you know, when you first went to Bangkok, the chaos of the city, you know, and it's so busy. But then once you get used to that, we just loved it, loved the buzz mm. there, particularly loved the food there, mm. you know, eating, uh, 
you know, curries and on stalls. You'd always eat just on street stalls and you'd have smoothies out of little plastic bags with a straw. So I love that. And then out of the whole trip, the very last place, and it's probably connected, but the very last place that we went to was Copenhagen. And I think it was something like, I think there was a few Paradise Islands. So it was like Paradise One or Paradise Two. And mm. it was a little island or a little um, beach on Copenhagen, mm. the far side. And you could only get there by boat. And there was literally just Long Beach with, with a hut, with a couple of huts and um, a little restaurant on one end of the beach and huts and a restaurant on the other end of the beach. And we spent two weeks there. But at that stage, we become so chilled that <laughs> we just chilled with like your little hammocks and beside your wow. grass hut. And we were so chilled that we never actually even ate in the restaurant at the end of the Not beach. Really. <laughs> we just ate <laughs> in the restaurant, hung out in the hammocks. I think it was because we knew we were going back to Ireland, but that was the most content and relaxed that I ever was. And both would say, myself and Emer would say it in our whole life. And that's the sort of feeling that since then we're always kind of trying to get is like that relaxed, mm. completely chilled. You didn't even feel like you needed to go to the restaurant at the end of the beach. You were so chilled where you were. And um, yeah, so that uh, that's the one that really, I suppose, stands out. And just one other, because mm. I, and I could be here all day now. But yeah, of course. Please, as, a little, please, please. As, a little, as a little town, a place called Luan Probang in Laos. Yeah. I just absolutely loved there because it was, it's got that French colonial architecture mm. and um, mixed in with the Lao culture, you know, so you, you could get like a croissant in the morning mm. so, and, and then, you know, the, the Lao food, but it was this most gorgeous, very, very chilled place. And uh, so I, I always recommend that to people, you know, somewhere if they want to go somewhere a little bit off the beaten track. Yeah gorgeous there you know saw some mm. amazing sunsets there you know over the city with and it's on the the Mekong and we got there by boat we actually oh, really? came from Thailand up by the top of Thailand all the way down the Mekong for a few days in a boat to get to there so that's always kind of magical when you come by boat I think to a town mm. you know arriving there so yeah definitely recommend that that sounds incredible and would you describe Copenhagen? and Thailand and Bangkok as your best holiday? Obviously it was within a larger trip, but of all the trips you've ever taken, would you be able to pinpoint that as your favourite? Yeah, do you know what it is? It's funny, like when you go like your best trip, it is such a tricky thing because um, every I just love near pretty much every trip that I've ever been on, you know? Um, I would say that that was definitely there, you know, I also... You know, even with that, that time in Laos, I have to say, as part of that, mm. you know, I kind of think of it. So I kind of think when I think of that holiday, I think of it as three different sections, you know. Okay. And, um, you know, another place that was really magical, I have to say, was Torstil Pena, which right. is a national park down at the bottom of Patagonia. So it's on mm. the Chilean side of Patagonia, down at the very bottom and again, it's very difficult to get there. Mm. And you've got to get a boat trip through fjords down to Puerto Arenas. And that takes a couple of days on this on this boat trip down through fjords to get there. And so it's very hard. And then there's these beautiful conical towers um, in this national park. And there's like a 10 day walk around them. And you stay in huts or camping. And 
that was one of the most amazing walks. That that walk probably really gave me my love of hiking, which I've done mm. loads of. Mm. And uh, so I probably would pick Torres del Peña, actually, purely for because it was so, it really felt like you're at the end of the world there, you know? Amazing. And it's mm. always nice to hear people talk about places which haven't been spoken about before. So you've ticked that <laughs> box too. <laughs> Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Um, obviously, you visited so many different cities from around the world now. So I want to ask you, is there one that you would consider your favourite? Yeah, so the, again, that was the first one that pops into my head. Again, uh, I would say Rome. Mm. I absolutely love Rome. So I'm, I'm a huge history fan mm. and ancient history. I love the old Roman Greek history. And uh, so, you know, Rome has got everything. So mm. Italian food is amazing. So the food is amazing there. Yeah. The, the history you know, the ancient history, particularly, and then the build, the architecture. I love architecture as well. So mm. the architecture and then the people. I love Italians. I love the yeah. little bit chaos. I love that noise <laughs> in, in the city. You know what I mean? I love Paris, but I prefer Rome for the little bit of chaos and the noise and um all the you know like in Rome you can just go any of those piazzas you just can yep. sit there have a coffee or a beer and just watch everyone going that's what I love doing in Rome and just watching the people and uh, so yeah I would definitely pick Rome I think and from within Rome what's your favorite thing to do when you're there so I would say 
I mean, definitely it's that. It is literally just sitting and mm-hmm. watching the world go by and some of the best, you know, like or even sitting out outdoors, you know, having a meal in the afternoon. And I remember one time being with friends. I've been there for a few times now for weddings, actually, as well. Mm-hmm. And um, there's an Irish, uh, an old Irish uh church and I was at a couple of weddings there but being with friends during the day outside in some little piazza having lovely Italian food and just seeing the the world go by that would definitely be my favorite and that's anywhere in Italy mm. I kind of you know, afternoon dinner just watching the world go by and the Italian food is always lovely you know yeah, always <laughs> So you never go wrong. I've got a thing for for um, spaghetti vongoli. So that's my quest is to find the ultimate, which is, you know, clams and spaghetti. And uh, <laughs> so that's what I'm always looking for. So, yeah, I love that. Amazing. Yeah. Do you go on many city breaks? I, I um, say, I say, do you go on I many know. city breaks? Did you go on many city breaks? <laughs> I know. Um, I go, yeah, I used to go on, on, you know, in the past and you go with friends, you know, um, I every year up to this year, I for mm. the last couple of years, I've been going away with um, friends from college. Mm. And um, that's been brilliant because we get to catch up again. Yeah. And um, we've kind of been picking places that we might necessarily have gone or, you know, before. So it's been great. Mm. So the last one was in Marseille, which mm. was, you know, uh, an interesting one and um, really enjoyed it. And then the year before that, we went to Seville, which I absolutely yeah, loved, isn't it? I mean, yeah. I just think it's the most amazing city and I would, I'm mad to go back there again because I don't feel like even though it's a small place, I, I really only touched it. Mm. So I'm really eager to go back there and I really want to see Cordoba and I really want to see Granada. Yes. So my plan, I would love to do a little road trip going mm. from one to the other, those three. That sounds and, great. Yeah. So I have a lot, a lot of places still to go to, I have to say. Yeah. <laughs> Don't we all? Um, and when you're planning a city break, what is it that you look for? So when I'm planning, I would say, so first, okay, so if I'm looking for a city, I would ideally like to pick a city where it's got great weather as mm. well. So it's not mm. just the city, it's <laughs> weather. And if it was a perfect world, it would be a city on the coast. Mm. Because being from Ireland, you know, it's nice to to get somewhere that's hot to get away from our weather yep. here. <laughs> and um, then with great food and great culture. And, you know, if it was a perfect world, it wasn't mad expensive as well. Mm. And the one city that I would say that kind of ticked all those boxes and is exotic is Lisbon. Yes. And I've been there a few times. And that is definitely... Um, one I would pick and I always recommend to people because it, it, it to me it feels more like a South American city mm, I, I don't okay. feel you know it's most I would say most exotic European city and it's not expensive it's really mm, easy to get mm. around it's beautiful great culture and great food I have to say so I really recommend Lisbon yeah Lisbon's been spoken about so many times on this podcast it always true. comes up and for so many different reasons as well but um, definitely one of my favorite European cities too. So I feel like when people can go back and travel again, if they're going to yeah. take anything from this podcast, everyone's going to be heading towards Lisbon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I, and I've been there a few times and I would go back again. No problem. You know, like mm. the Alfama and it's just so easy to get around. There's like yeah. tram 28. It just yes. brings you around the city, hop on and off. 
So I would definitely recommend there and some and lovely food as well. Yes. So I would really recommend there. Yeah. Just make sure you pack a good pair, pair of walking shoes. Exactly. The That's hills true. of Lisbon are incredible. <laughs> did you get out to Sintra when you went to Lisbon? I did. And I mm. loved it. I have to say it was great. I, I, the time I went to Sintra was with um, my family. We were we were sort of staying a, just above Lisbon in the beach area, Foz de Arello, And we went to Sintra and I, with my son, they were very young at the time, but we walked right up to the top. There was a, like an old medieval castle at the very Pina, top. Pina Castle, I think it is. Yeah. yeah. And we walked up to that and like we were using, I've used that since going, remember that time we were in Sintra <laughs> and you, you went to the castle. You can do this, you know, when we're yep. on another mountain. So it was great. The only thing is, I think after that one, my, 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 the trust my kids have in me now because... <laughs> I've been to other castles and they're always on hills and like I'm going, come on, it's only yeah. around, it's around the next corner. They don't believe that anymore. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's twisting one. and turning and you just feel like you're never going to reach this castle. Yeah, yeah we, we walked up as well just to make sure we got the full experience and there were so many tuk-tuks just driving past us. Like, yeah. Are you sure? Are you sure you don't want to lift? Yeah, <laughs> we, we're going to walk it. It's fine. It's fine. Yeah. <laughs> So you've mentioned so many amazing cities there. And I wanted to ask you, is your favourite country necessarily the place which contains your favourite city? Um, No. So, see, I don't really think so. I think cities, you know, really what my love like is, 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 you know, for me, the perfect place is a little village um, in the mountains or on the sea. So not a city. So. I kind of don't think, I think of cities as like separate entities. Do you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, no, I, I, my favorite countries, when I think of them, it's the countryside that okay. I would pick a country. Which places come to mind? So I would say my two favorite have to be definitely Italy mm. and Greece. Mm. And both of those places I'd be quite happy to move to. <laughs> uh-huh. When I say Italy, my favorite part of Italy is Puglia, the heel of Italy. Okay. And I have gone there a few times with the family. And we were actually supposed to go in July again this year, but fortunately that was uh, cancelled. Yeah. But I just, I love um, Puglia so much. Um, it's an amazing place and it's got everything, you know, amazing beaches. And particularly, it's got loads on the east coast of Puglia, down in the heel, it's got loads of these little hill towns. And each one has their own car- sort of characteristic. Like, okay. um, and so I would really recommend there so much. And it's it's very cheap and it's beautiful weather, amazing history. But for those, so I would recommend in Puglia is one of those hill towns and stay in a little village, maybe 20, you know, minutes from the sea. And you can go to then all these towns are within 20 minutes of each other. So you can go to a different town every night with a different mm. feel. And then go wow. to the sea as well. But I would so recommend there, I have to say, definitely. And then Greece as well. Amazing. You just you just <laughs> added that place to my bucket list for sure. Yeah, definitely. It's it's amazing. So to keep the theme um, of Italy going, mm-hmm. we're going to talk about food now. Because obviously mm-hmm. food is a massive part of travel, experiencing new different uh, cuisines and cultures. Where in the world do you like the food best? So I have to, like Italian food would be my favourite uh, in in Italy, and I kind of um, would cheat a little bit with this question. Like you, you know, your question that you said to me earlier was like, <laughs> "What city?" And I I said Florence, but really, I don't really mean Florence. Uh, what my memory, the most memorable meal I ever had was like in Tuscany, okay. um, in a little village 
and it was like a little restaurant and you know those fields with the, mm. the cypress mm. trees and it was in again in the afternoon and the food was just unbelievable the italian food is so simple and so basic but done so well mm. and the wine and the scenery and it's like a long lunch there so if i could pick somewhere it would be you know tuscany um in a little village there um having a meal you know but really italian food everywhere because as i yeah. said in puglia my thing was like the seafood there is gorgeous and looking for spaghetti vongoli like practically every day check different restaurants checking out different ones so all mm. Ita- and also what i love about I don't know, it's a funny factor, but really I factor in the love Italian food because the kids love it. It's the easiest one okay, for, yeah. for a holiday with kids because every kid loves Italian food, whether it's mm. pizza or pasta. So it does make a holiday very easy, you know, um, when you're in Italy with the kids. Um, so I want to ask you about specifically your favourite food that you've eaten whilst away. Uh, you've spoken about spaghetti. What is it? Mm-hmm. Von- Vongoli. Vongoli. This is yeah. a new dish to me. I'm not a massive <laughs> lover of seafood, so I've never come across it. Was yeah. it spaghetti Vongoli, which would be your favourite? Well, that, but just because I've already talked about it, the other one, which I love, and it's so basic, is mm. I love in Greece, because like I love, as I said, Puglia, but also Greece. Mm. And... You know, when I'm in Greece, say whether it's the islands or the mainland, a Greek salad, so basic, you know, Mm -hmm. with feta cheese and Mm -hmm. lovely with olive oil and lovely tomatoes and calamari, those two things and some wine Mm. that would be those, you know, so it's, 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 I just love it so much, I have to say. So the Greek food, but particularly Greek salad and calamari. So essentially we're just ordering a few starters and some wine. And I love that. I love that so much. And it's so mm. connected to where you are because you mm. have it here, just not the same, you know. But Completely. Greek, you know, so simple. A Greek salad in Greece is just definitely the one for me, you know. Amazing. So we've spoken about the best food that you've eaten, but obviously when you've been away, especially probably during that two-year trip, you must have had some dodgy, dodgy meals throughout your time. So is there a particularly bad or strange meal that you ate during that time? Do you know what? So for me, when I was in India, um, we were so good. We were in India for six weeks and we were essentially would be eating, you know, food stalls or were really strict. You know, we hardly ate. We didn't eat an apple. We weren't eating fruit. We weren't mm-hmm. eating salads. Yeah. We were just eating, always tried to eat where the, you could see like a stall where the, the food was cooked in front of you. Okay. Eating really basic food throughout our trip in, in India. And then one time we're in Udapur, you know, this, you, you know, from the James Bond movie where there's this amazing palace in the middle of mm-hmm. the lake. And we went out there and it's a five-star hotel now. And we went in and had afternoon tea there and ended up having sandwiches with um, with lettuce in it. Mm. And I was sick as a dog oh. after that, really sick. And the next day, I remember having to get a bus, a long bus to Varanasi, you know, with like a 10 hour bus. And I had a dicky stomach trying oh. to hold it in <laughs> for that journey. <laughs> and then for the rest of my trip through Asia and for years later, it was sort of like, you know, every six weeks I'd, I'd go into cold sweats for a day or two. Oh, really? Yeah. Even on my honeymoon, I spent a night cold sweats. So it took years to get that bug out of me. So that mm. one definitely left a mark. Wow. And I was in the five star hotel. 
in India. The worst, Not a street the, stall. You'd never expect it. <laughs> yeah, but you know what it is? But they they always say, you know, it's it's the salads and things like it. So, you know, when you're when you're abroad, it's actually th- those street stalls where the food is cooked freshly in front of you. Hmm. They, it looks so unhygienic, but really that's your, your, your safest where you are there, you know, I have to say. Really? Yeah. So that definitely is my one. <laughs> Amazing. So we'll move on from that negative <laughs> travel memory now to talk to about something a little bit more positive. So you must have had so many amazing memories which you can pick out and think of fondly. But is there a holiday that means the most to you? Yeah. So I would pick, I love um, hiking. Mm. And particularly on that, when we were on that two year trip, we started when we were in um, in Peru, we did the Anna. We did the um, Machu Picchu, which was mm. a couple of days walk. And I said we did Torso Pania and we did loads of walking in uh, in New Zealand, which was all amazing. Mm. And then the one that really stands out of all the walking that I've ever done was in Nepal. We did mm. the Annapurna circuit, which mm. is a 20 day walk around the Annapurna mountain range. Wow. And remember, I was describing, say, Copenhagen, that feeling of pe- that peaceful feeling. Mm. Well, it was the exact same, actually when in the mountains because mm. when you walk it just you you go into nearly like a, a trance where you don't think about anything you're just mm. walking along you go into a trance like state nearly and just every day you're walking from village to village you know you don't have anything booked mm. whatever wherever whichever village you end up in you have a rough idea you just walk around the town and you just get some basic room somewhere and some basic food and that was 20 days of doing that and that was just amazing I was a little scary. I remember like the pass. I, I can't remember the height. It was something like maybe 5,400 meters, 5,400 meters, I think, or, or over 5,000 anyway. But Emer wow. e- kind of, we only discovered that on that walk that Emer suffers from altitude sickness. So when we were actually up at the top of the pass. It, was, wow. it snowed the day before we were to go over. So we went over a snow-covered pass. And then at the top, Emer was just wondering she was like oh i just want to lie down here and have a little rest for a while mm-hmm. and uh she was suffering from uh altitude sickness so we're lucky because there was a canadian couple who were both doctors who wow, were behind lucky. us yeah and they came up and they just said you just need to get down as quick mm-hmm. as you can so we just walked you know down the mountains quick mm-hmm. as we could she was fine but um but that was just such an amazing experience i have to say and what and what that did is give me a love all my life of walking but mm. we have we that was probably our last walking trip then until and that was like 2001 until last summer i was kind of waiting for my kids i have four kids i'm mm. waiting for my kids to get old enough to be able to go mm-hmm. walking again and our youngest turned seven so i said yeah he's old enough now <laughs> so we went and did a half of the Tour de Mont Blanc. Mm. So Tour de Mont Blanc is a walk, a very famous walk. And it's from Chamonix, it goes from Chamonix, goes into Italy, into Switzerland, back into into France. And we did the leg six days from Chamonix to Courmayeur in Italy. So walked from France over around the Alps, around Mont Blanc. And that was, and staying in huts every night. Wow. So if I would go the most important one to me of all the trips was that one to be able to share it with my kids and hopefully give them a love of walking because they moaned through the whole thing. But I'm hoping by the time they turn 30, they'll be like, they'll have, they'll have 
got the bug, they'll have understand. You know what I mean? They'll never forget <laughs> that holiday. Yeah. Yeah, if if my parents had taken me on a trip when I was seven years old to do a solely walking trip, I'm not sure how well that would have gone down. But exactly now at the age of 25, it would yeah. it would be received a little better. So yeah, when I they know. when they grow up, they'll they'll definitely appreciate it more. So to move back to uh, the Annapurna mm-hmm. circuit, it's mm-hmm. obviously high altitude, like you discussed, unpredictable weather. Describe what it's actually like because you you, you mentioned that it's peaceful, but is it not also very stressful? at the same time yeah that's a yeah that's a good point and it is and that adds to it so mm. yeah that's a good point so it is yeah it, so it, it is i remember when we were on it if we were walking so we were walking 10 days to the pass mm. and then you go over the pass and then the scenery changes dramatically but for those 10 days, it was a bit, it was like a bit like a war movie because the obsession was to get to the pass and get mm. over it. Because if you spend 10 days walking to the pass and you can't get over the pass, you've got to spend 10 days walking back oh, to where wow. you can. So you were every day, people were coming in the coming back in the opposite direction. Mm. And you'd meet them and they'd be like, Yeah, it's covered in snow. We couldn't get Ooh. past. And you're do you stop? Do you go back? You just keep going, hoping that by the time you get there, um, it'll be okay. Mm. So that is, it, 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 it's worrying, but it, it's part of it. You know, it's a bit like when you're skiing mm. down a mountain. It, it you could call it, it's worrying, but then it's adrenaline and it's the buzz yeah. and, and then the achievement of doing it. And I remember when we were coming up to the pass, the, the couple of days, about two days before the pass, we it was snow, real heavy snow came down, and we were snowed into. Um, into a hostel for mm. like for two days and everyone was just in there. Couldn't go outside waiting to see would it clear. Mm. And then we went on again and we stayed, we stayed in a, um, in a, in a hostel, the one that you go up the day before they go over the pass mm. and it looked all okay. And then when we got up, you know, you get up at like in the middle of the night to get over the pass and it had been snowing over the night. So the whole thing was, covered in snow so you were just going through snow up the mountain up to mm. the pass so yeah that was a, it was worrying but then can you imagine the buzz after mm, the adrenaline and the achievement of spending 10 days to get to this pass and then actually getting over the other side and then 10 days of wow we're actually over the pass <laughs> and i always say that to people that the high of it, it's it's comparable to anything you know that high of getting to a, a pass anywhere and, and I used to say that to the kids, you know, when we were walking in the Tour de Mont Blanc, every day there was there was a pass to get over, to get to the into the valley, to do the next one. Mm-hmm. So there was a pass each day. And every day the kid, we've gone up, you'd be going up Mount uphill all day. Mm-hmm. And I'd be saying to kids, yeah, but imagine that high that you get when you get to the top, you know, yeah. they'd be cursing me. And, <laughs> and you, but that feeling when you get to the pass yeah. every day and go now, am I right? That that I just love that feeling of being your legs are tired after mm. the end of the day but the achievement of it so yeah it's a little yeah there is that worry but it's kind of part of the thing when you're in the mountains you know Completely you know it's great. the same with skiing holidays every day you're looking at the weather every night you're going to bed going you're going if it starts snowing when you're in bed you're like brilliant the snow is going to be amazing tomorrow mm-hmm. but god if it snows too much yeah. i won't be able to ski you know <laughs> so then just being able to get up onto the mountain you know it makes it even more special amazing so so far you've 
given me and all of our listeners complete wanderlust uh, describing <laughs> these incredible places. But now let's take a turn and look at perhaps the more negative side of travel, because especially traveling over such a long period of time, like you mentioned with India, for example, there are negative aspects to travel to. So is there a place which you would never go back to? My guess is everyone probably says the same thing that, you know, there's nowhere that I wouldn't go back to. Mm. But, you know, again, I'm a firm believer in the first thing that comes into your head when you when you think of something like this. And the, and the place that does come into my head, I suppose, reluctantly would be Corsica. Mm. Um, it's an absolutely beautiful island, like amazing. The most beautiful scenery in Europe, I would say. Mm, wow. And but the people when I was there, I found them quite tough and okay. they were quite rude. And, um, you know, for me, like, say why I love Italy so much. Like, I remember we, we were in Sardinia. We got a, a boat over from Bonifacio over to Corsica and spent a couple of days in, in Corsica. And I, I, I remember when we got the boat back. We arrived in Bonifacio that first night and we were in a restaurant and there all the kids were out in the square running around and there was loads of noise and chaos and it was amazing and totally relaxed. And it wasn't like that at all in Corsica. Okay. When you're in Corsica at nighttime, it's like as if they they don't want kids out or mm. kids in a restaurant. And, you know, you're looking around at the French kids or Corsica kids and they're like, sitting there in silence mm. like reading a book or something <laughs> you know it's not like in Italy or in Ireland and uh, yeah I found that a bit hard going like I mm. remember one night being in a restaurant and you know it was like six o'clock in the evening there was no one in mm. it practically and w with my kids and they were very young at the time and we just ordered you know starters and mains and wine and just a few starters for the kids because they wouldn't have eaten that much mm. and we're eating our food and then the owner came over and he starts giving out because we hadn't ordered a full meal for everybody but mm. we you know we'd order starters and mains mm. and we mm. would have we would have eaten a lot and uh, so then he then he said um get out really <laughs> yeah <laughs> it was a surreal thing ever and he was like really aggressive and i stood up and i'm a publican so i'm kind of used to that so he kind of mm. went right up to my face he's going go on hit me and i was looking at him <laughs> going what and uh yeah, so we, like, our family got kicked out of the restaurant. <laughs> and that, so that left a bit of a mark, I yeah, have to say. Most surreal thing. I, so, and, and that kind of reflected, you know what I mean? The, the, mm -hmm. the, the weren't the friendliest, they're tough cookies. Mm. But it is the most amazing place. And I absolutely loved the place. And I absolutely, you know, I would love to go back there. There's a very famous walk called the GR20 right mm. down the middle of the island in the mountains, which I, is definitely on my list. So when I say I wouldn't go back there, it's a good chance I will. <laughs> <laughs> but it wasn't, you know what I mean? The difference between there and then we, when we went, got the boat back to Sardinia yeah, and then in a square, like I described earlier on, having, having food in between courses, the kids were running around the square with all the other telling kids playing mm. soccer, you know, the difference was yeah. amazing, you know, and we were like, we're home. Oh, <laughs> nice. So obviously you spoke about at the start of the episode about the fact that you like to speak to people and speaking to people is often the best way to get a feel for where you are and the place that you're in. Mm -hmm. We've heard about Corsica and the, the negative experience you've had about speaking to people, but mm -hmm. where in the world do you think people are the friendliest? I would say... Ireland, <laughs> yeah, if I could. Good answer. But um, I would also say 
that I had such amazing experiences when we were doing that two years traveling. I'll never forget when we arrived into uh, Tahiti, we, it was around just the week of Christmas mm. and we were going to spend Christmas in Bora Bora, but we hadn't really organized anything. So when we arrived into Tahiti, we discovered, you know, the, the boats, it was Christmas time. So all the boats were full and we were in this like, uh, you know, um, shipping office trying with my wife's broken French, trying to see how do we get onto a boat? And there was a guy in the queue, a French guy, or or you know French Tunisian or a French Tahitian, and mm. he um, you know asked us where we're going, and he talked to the guys, managed to get us like onto the deck, two spots onto the wow. deck of the boat, which was going to go the following day. So then he said, "Why don't you come back and stay in my house, and I'll bring you to the boat the following Amazing. day?" So because of as I said, my experiences from traveling and from college you know you, you trusting people mm. so i went okay no problem and he drove us to his house and he actually so he lived in this amazing house going down to the sea with fresh fruit you know there was like we're eating you know food off the tr the fruit off the trees and coconuts and uh, he actually lived next door to marilyn brando's old house oh, amazing. amazing house <laughs> and um you know, we've ate with them that night with the family. Mm. And then the next day he drove us to the boat and got onto the boat and then got the boat to Bora Bora. And I remember then on the boat, you know, we were just, we didn't have, um, he, he just managed to get us onto the boat without actually having a bed or a, or a seat or anything. So we just had our like mats on the top, on the deck of the boat and, um, I remember it's most amazing sunset, but there was a, like a family there and they had all their food out and like a picnic and they like called us over and we had shared their food with them because mm. we didn't have any food either. Wow. And uh, so, you know, trusting people, because I remember when we were driving in his pickup truck to the house, I was like, mm. are we going <laughs> to disappear? <laughs> we never, no one knew, you know, we hadn't told anyone what we're doing, but yeah, just you get a bit of an innate feeling for people. Mm. And uh, so that one, definitely, my memory banks will last forever, you know. Amazing. What an incredible story, too. So I want to ask you now about your dream destination, because everyone that I've spoken to so far, like you said, we dream about travel. We enjoy the dreaming and the planning of travel just as much as we enjoy the travel itself. What place tops your bucket list? So I'm going to pick somewhere that I have already been to okay. because I really, really want to go back there because mm. I would actually say that it's my favorite place in the world. Wow. And that would be Greece, mm. the mainland, the Peloponnese Peninsula in mm. Greece, which is the mainland, the west coast of Greece. So you fly into Athens and on the motorway, it's like two hours on the motorway to Kalamata mm. and then another hour over the mountains into a place called the Mani. And the Mani in the Peloponnese Peninsula, that's where Sparta is and where the Spartans used to live. And they say mm. that's where they, when they left Sparta, they went to the Mani region. So you go over the mountains and these little windy roads and you can see the coast all along. And there's a town called Agius Nicholas, which is for me the perfect, the ideal place because it was like a tiny little fishing village, really Greek, mostly Greek tourists. You know, the food was amazing there. And we used to, every morning in the little village, we would go down to the 
beside the the pier and go diving into the sea and then come out and there was like a little little restaurant there and the woman would bring out like toast and or- freshly squeezed orange juice mm. and coffee and there was little deck chairs and leave the breakfast out for us and so you're swimming in the sea you know the turquoise waters before breakfast and then you look behind you and you're surrounded by these mountains Incredible. and that I would say is the most idyllic place I, I just love it so I would definitely go back there that would definitely be on my bucket list wow. you know, I could live there like the most gorgeous place and the history mm. of the Peloponnese the whole peninsula sort of um, the most amazing uh, drive I've ever had was from there cr- cr- through mountains to um, Mistral where is the town where the Spartans used to live and it's an old Byzantine village and just all around there most famous place for olive oil in the world okay. it's got everything it sounds amazing <laughs> you've described it so amazingly is there a place on your bucket list uh, which perhaps you haven't been to yeah so on my you know there's loads so I have to say I heard a great line someone said to me I was talking to a travel writer on my one and he said is there, there you know my list goes on forever there is like how many for many days there's places and I, I would be the same I would mm. love I, w- I haven't been to set Brazil I mean, I would really like to go to Brazil and, and see that properly. I'd love to go to Argentina. Mm. I would love to go to Central America, Mexico. So all around that area. I'd love to do a trip. I When I went to South America, I kind of did the other side. So I would love to, and also uh, I would love to go to Colombia, mm. you know, that that would be amazing. So those South America, the warmer, I kind of went to the cold, <laughs> the cooler. <laughs> so I'd like to go to warm ones. So like Central America and uh, Brazil uh, Colombia, they would definitely be the places that um, will be on my bucket list. Incredible. Thank you so much, Fergal. You've been an absolute joy to listen to. So many incredible memories, which you've described so beautifully too. Um, if you could promote your podcast for me, that would be amazing because hopefully I can transfer some of my listeners over to you. Perfect. Thank you so much. So uh, yeah, I'm Travel Tales with Fergal and it's on all podcasting platforms. Um and we actually just finished. I have a whole season now done from October to this week. And in January, my season will be starting. My second season will be starting again. And I've, all, I've spent the last few weeks doing those interviews. Mm. And I have some of the most amazing interviews. Like one is a guy who he's a climber, a very famous rock climber. Mm. And he got stuck in Patagonia during the wow. lockdown. So he's been there since the start of the year. I I, I talked to him from his caravan in the, the Argentinian side of Patagonia and he's t- t- telling rock climbing stories. So I've just some amazing people mm. that I'm looking forward to sharing. So yeah, hopefully but travel tales with Fergal. And also if you, I'm at travel tales with Fergal on Instagram, that's mm. a great way of getting updates mm. and, and photos and information and things like that. And I love talking to people. So incredible. Well, um, hopefully some people will move across from my podcast to yours. Like I say, Fergal, thank you so much for taking the time to speak to me. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much. Really appreciate it. I really enjoyed that, I have to say. Thank you. So there we go. That was episode 15 of Travel Talks with Fergal O'Keefe. It really was great to meet and chat with Fergal, and I hope you guys enjoyed it as much as I did. What a great man with some fascinating stories. If you enjoyed this episode, then there are 14 others to listen to too. And it really would mean a lot to me if you could subscribe to the podcast on whatever podcast platform you're listening to this on, because it helps boost us up the charts, and maybe we can get number one one day like Fergal did. 
And if you're listening now, then you really must be a fan of the podcast. So why not go over to our Instagram page at Travel Talks Podcast and tell me which was your favourite episode you've listened to so far. Thank you as always for listening, guys. It really does mean so much that you would take the time out of your day to listen to the podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode and I'll be back next week with another amazing guest. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.